Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? Um, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Join Prize Picks. America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from my kitchen counter in the crap part of West Hollywood, there isn't one. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, it is Siberia here in New York City. We are brave. Huh. Your nipples could snap off in this cold day. Oh. It is pernicious to life. I'm happy that you are you're thousands of miles away. You love the cold, Rog. You love it. And the added benefit of your nipples being so hard that they could snap off. You're in heaven right now. I am not. Well, just one cardi today, Dave. Two cardi weather. Wow. It is cardi heaven. It's also, it's been an incredible weekend to stay inside. What an incredible sporting weekend from the very moment Wolves and Leicester rang up seven goals. It just never let up. What was, what was the Dave sporting moment of the weekend? I think it was the four hybrid I caught a flyer out of the rough, Rog, at Shadow Creek. Oh, and I hit, I hit a four hybrid to about, 200, about 208, 210 yards on the second hole at Shadow. My second golf hole I've played all year. That was my sporting moment of the weekend. But the NFL football was pretty good as well. That's the four hybrid that the whole golf world is talking about. Yeah, the NFL was pretty good. Definitely a highlight. We've got to give a big clap to referee's flag, which was MVP of the entire weekend all over the field referees flag. I did love Terry Bradshaw uh, having a slightly catatonic Stan Kroenke come and raise the NFC Championship trophy and Terry introduced him to the world as as Dan Kroenke who uh, didn't notice because I think he thought he was being handed the Champions League trophy. Big shout out to Saints fans who also follow Arsenal. I feel your pain. Talking about the NFL, at least your owners care about your teams. Your Super Bowl matchup a team owned by a man who doesn't give a crap about his Premier League team, Arsenal, Stan Kroenke, Dan Kroenke, against a man who doesn't care too much about his MLS team, Robert Kraft. A proof, the Super Bowl, I guess, at soccer. Oh, still America's sport of the future. Anyway, none of them were my sporting moment of the weekend. Yours mm-hmm. was your, your four hybrid. Yeah. My sporting moment of the weekend, not as good as yours, was watching Matthew McGonaghy sit on the University of Texas bench. <laughs> during a basketball game. Did you see this moment of just, oh, wonder? It's interesting. I mean, I've met Matthew McConaughey a few times, so I have a slightly different view of it than maybe most people. Because I think what's shocking to people is that Matthew McConaughey plays such sane people in movies. And you meet him in real life. He is crazy. He's brilliant. He's so entertaining. He's so funny. But he's like, he's a little bit nuts. And I think that is 
evidence in what happened to him at uh, University of Texas. Oh, yeah, I mean, anyone who's seen the the classic movie Surfer Dude, I'm guessing will probably have glimpsed a, a iota of the real McGonaghy. If you didn't see it, picture him strolling out onto the court side in a three-piece Texas-coloured, just University of Texas-coloured suit, looking essentially, picture Gareth Southgate, but totally in orange, and he took it all... He did it all with no irony. He just seemed to take it all so seriously, just jumping into the huddle during timeouts. They had, I think the journalists asked the players after the game what McGonaghy kept saying, and they said it was amazing. He dared us. He dared us to be who we are tonight. That could backfire, that philosophy, be who you are. GFOP at Tim Lowell tweeted to say he's definitely shouting, all height, all height, all height, all height, all height, all height. If I could get McGonaghy at Everton, I would bite your hand off right now. But if you could get any Hollywood star to come in and assist and coach your team, Davo, who would it be and why? I mean, my answer to usually when people says, if you could get any Hollywood star to like come in and like, you know, hang out or have dinner with or like do anything, the answer is nearly always Kate Beckinsale. Tactics. But in terms of like coaching the team, you know, Gene Hackman, I think, is probably who I'm thinking. He's like an inspirational figure. He's, he's my your... kind of a coach. In the same way as John Candy from Cool Runnings is my kind of a coach, yeah. like a player's coach, feel-good coach. Mm-hmm. He lifts, gets the best out of the players that way. I mean, Dangerfield, by the way, Dangerfield, you know, oh. may he rest in peace. He was pretty good too. Maybe Sarri is Italian Dangerfield. <laughs> <as he laughs> yeah, I think we're finding him. out on a weekly basis. <laughs> I mean, the same bet is to give Samuel L. Jackson from Coach Carter, you know, like Poch building the player on the field and off it, the 360 player. I'm going to controversially, I'm going to go, not Candy, who I am actually tempted to exhume and insert into the number one job at Goodison Park. I've got to go air, bud. Player manager. Lead by example. I mean, everyone loves cute dog viral videos, right? So it'd be good for, you know, winning on the field, in the locker room with the lads, and good for the social media numbers. Yeah. Get on it, Farhad Mashiri. Forget about it. At this point, I'd take those little one-eyed yellow things in Despicable Me at Chelsea over, <laughs> over, the, over the current manager. But anyway, who knows? I'll take a whole squad of them. Okay, Raj, before we dive in, one quick piece of MIB business. We've got a new episode of our Visit Britain digital travel series dropping on our social media at meninblazers.com Wednesday, Raj, in which you visit London's Animal War Memorial. Yeah, the Animal Memorial film is probably yeah. the one I enjoyed making the most, mostly because... A, it's a stunning piece of true Englishness in every regard. It celebrates the thousands and thousands of animals who have died in war. The, the big unbelievable motto is they had no choice, which is really true and incredibly searing. But while we were there, three English people brought two mules from deep in Essex, I think, to come and visit the Animal Memorial. It's probably the most kind of like just truly eccentric British moment I've had in a long time. And speaking of Visit Britain, it was announced over the weekend that your Chicago Bears will do just that next season, Rog. Like a dream of you and me going back, taking Mitch Trubisky to the Churchill War Rooms to talk leadership, oh, taking Tariq Cohen to the Pie Mash and Eel House for a bit of pre-game protein. And oh, as I tweeted last night, Khalil Mack to Buckingham Palace so that he can claim his rightful throne as king, which I only realised after tweeting, sounds like I'm trying to encourage a coup uh, within Britain, which I may or may not be doing, but God, it would be magic. Bears to London, make it happen now. There's only one NFL team after next season who has not played outside the United States, and that is the Green Bay Packers, Rog. They just don't like travelling. 
They want to stay at home. <laughs> okay, we've got a packed show. We're going to break down an emphatic Arsenal win over Chelsea that left Maurizio Sarri going scorched earth in Italian during his post-game presser. My God, have we ever seen a Chelsea manager do that before, Rog? We yawn while recapping your regular run-of-the-mill 4-3 thriller between Liverpool and Crystal Palace. They really bring it against the big sides, Rog. And we talk Spurs' Harry Winks guild victory at Craven Cottage. To the football, Rog. Oh, yeah, and a toast with my second, third, bud of the day. Oh, it's a beautiful one. People love the heads I pour on these beers. They are a thing... Of beauty. I like to let my beer aerate. Uh, on the weekend in which we saw young Tim Weyer scoring his debut for Celtic, a further testament, if we needed one, to the ongoing brilliance of Brendan Rodgers <laughs> and Schalke's Weston McKinney linked to Liverpool by British tabloid transfer paper talk. By the way, a number of American national youth team coaches have told us that Weston McKinney, he's the one who's going to be the best American over the next 10 years. But my heart soared this weekend when I saw that photograph of Christian Pulisic and Tyler Adams swapping jerseys after the Dortmund-Leipzig game. A 20-year-old son of Hershey, Pennsylvania, swapping shirts of a 19-year-old from Wappingers Falls, New York, in the Bundesliga. Bud fam, blood fam, I raised my beer to that photograph one it was impossible to look at without feeling a surge of optimism about the American future. Courage. Arsenal 2, Chelsea 0. A massive win for Unai Emery's mob, who got the scoring started in the 14th minute when Alexandra Lacazette tamed an angry Hector Bellerin cross with a supple first touch and blasted it past Kepa. Arsenal's second came on 39 minutes when a breakdown in marking allowed Lauren Koscielny to shoulder the ball in. Was it deliberate? Was it not deliberate? Who knows, Rog? Arsenal stay fifth and close the gap on fourth place Chelsea to just three points. It was a performance that left Maurizio Sarri mincing no words in his post-game, in Italian, by the way, Rog, and quite the flip in narrative for Arsenal football players. Oh, yeah, because a game Arsenal entered after a week of dreadful, dreadful headlines. Defeats at Southampton. Who loses to Southampton, Davo? And West Ham were followed by news that Ozil and Mkhitaryan's wages are so bloated, only loan signings would be countenanced by Kroenke this transfer window. Hmm. One of the factors that led to head of recruitment, the much-coveted Sven Mislinat jumping ship, having been at Arsenal for just over a year, Premier League Scaramucci. With this dark, depressing backdrop, austerity Arsenal took to the field, with their challenge for a Champions League place on the line. And I've got to credit the fans, the Arsenal fans. They got behind their players from the off. The atmosphere was loud. It was feisty. It was old school hybrid. And the Arsenal players responded. Absolutely. Let's also credit the Chelsea fans. This is the only piece of credit I'm going to give to anyone related to Chelsea. Give some credit to the Chelsea fans with their tribute to their former goalkeeper, Padacek, before the game. I like seeing that. Arsenal were in the ascendancy from the front. Arsenal were were using something that's very important in Premier League football. They were uh, using tactics. They had a game plan. They were were trying to do something with the ball going forward. Chelsea just looked like they're in a training ground routine for the entire game until right at the end when they start panicking and realising that the object of the game isn't just to string multiple pointless passes across the middle of the field. Yes, Marcus Alonso hit the post. Yes, they had a couple of chances going forward. But honestly, this was a dominant performance by Arsenal and it was not a surprise when they went in the lead. Yeah, on 40 minutes, they got what they deserved after a bold, aggressive opening. Lacazette in the area, a gorgeous first touch, a better second one, and then thrashing it high and tight with the third. It's eighth of the season. 
lethal, beautiful movement, true relief in that moment for Arsenal and Arsenal fans. You saw that on the players' faces as they celebrated and the joy buzzing around that ground that's been all too rare an Arsenal emotion of late. But we know this, David. We know an early Arsenal goal, so often a MacGuffin at best, a harbinger for their own doom at worst. But Chelsea, you kind of expected them to kick back in, to take that punch on the chin and wake up. But they heeded no warning. They seemed sloppy. They were led. And thank God for Kepa. Could have been 3-0 early doors. Mm -hmm. And the game just seemed like low on quality, high on energy. What was wrong, though, with your lads? Look, my theory is, and I've said it, you know, you and I have had a lot of discussions about Sarri. I think you've been more optimistic about him and more positive about him than I have this season by a long way. To most Chelsea fans, Sarri came in and in pre-season decided, long before the majority of his squad came back, he decided on his starting team. We all believed that this was going to be the starting team that would be replaced by the point that the real players got back from the World Cup. He decided on his starting team. He bought his system in from Napoli. He fit his players into that system, whether or not they played in those positions well or not. He's had no squad rotation. He hasn't introduced younger players. There is no competition for places. Apparently, on the training ground, all they're doing is they're running these like passing drills, passing drills, passing drills. There is no offensive plan going forward. There aren't any like set pieces that look like they're being you know, rehearsed. The defence is terrible, and it's just boring. The most likeable Chelsea team, which I've said, for a long time, they don't have a villain, they don't have somebody you loathe, they don't have, like, you, don't, you can't, like, really strongly dislike the coach. But i got to tell you, the most likeable Chelsea team are the most boring to watch. They're so predictable, so predictable, Rog. And Leden is right, uninspired. I mean, it's just loathe watching them. Likeable, maybe because they're vulnerable. And in this one, they were completely unable to cope with Arsenal's vigorous, quite impressive high press. They harried them. They forced Chelsea to just cough up possession sloppily over and over again. Credit Ramsey, in particular, who shackled Jorginho like a quarterback spy. I mean, he's been made to look like a one-dimensional footballer. I will say, he's been discovered. He's been defanged. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he's been undone himself or whether it was that Napoli was surrounded by pace and without it he's just only option is to become the master of the sideways pass it's like to me it's like having a very good quarterback but giving him no elite wide receivers to utilize the strengths that he definitely has because Sarri you nailed it he's like an Italian Tom Petty he won't back down keeps fielding him in that position thus Kante out of position Hudson Adoy you're just good for a late cameo role and there's no creativity as a result. Chelsea, in this one, they look like Everton with London accents. No, very much so. And it's classic experience bias from Sarri. He's got his players who he wants to go and play. He's got his system he wants to go and play. There is no tactical flexibility whatsoever. No. And I don't think you can do that in the Premier League. And Unai Emery is tactically flexible. Now, I worry about giving Arsenal too much credit in this game. Because I feel if you give Arsenal too much credit for how well they played, you're actually not being critical enough of Chelsea. Chelsea were awful in this game. I think it's tough to give Arsenal too much credit. Bravo, 2-0 win, important, just three points behind Chelsea right now. But I don't think Arsenal were actually dominant and incredible in this game. I think the remarkable thing was Chelsea are just so, so poor in a London derby against Arsenal, a game that could have taken them nine points ahead of them in the chase of the Champions League. I mean, it's just, and Rog, it's rubbish. That was a rubbish performance. It was rubbish, and it was definitely two of the lesser, bigger sides playing. Yeah. You felt that lack of quality all over the field. 
Chelsea's greatest achievement on the day may have been making Socrates look like a rippled muscle pillar of potency. He actually was good. I will give him credit. He was amazing in this game. Arsenal had a defensive commitment that was admirable in this game. But at the same time, as you say, Socrates was untroubled. And he and Koscielny combined for that second Arsenal goal. Surreal blooper. Koscielny was found unmarked, close-range header, which he completely effed up. And it went in off his beauty French shoulder. It was all Origi-esque. Such a Liverpool goal right into the corner. Forget the quality of the goal. Look at the victory. And watching Arsenal not just out-think and out-hustle, but out-muscle Chelsea, it really was. It was like as close to real life comes to recreating the end of Back to the Future where George McFly, the victim, steps up and just punches out bully Biff Tannen. I always kept thinking, what is Polisic thinking, Davo, as he watches this, watches Koscielny outshoot the entire Chelsea side with his big boy two shots on target? What was poor Polisic be thinking, David? Yeah, that's not the angle I take looking at this game. He's not even put on a Chelsea shirt yet. But the look, you've cast your mind back to that amazing game at the beginning of the season when Chelsea beat Arsenal in the Premier League at home. Three teams. And you just look at that performance, you look at that day, and you just can't believe that everything's gone so wrong. And it's because you have to keep on innovating in the Premier League. You've got to build competition for places. You've got to blood new players. I was spending the whole time thinking about the commitment of those Arsenal defenders. And you look at Paul Anders Christensen on the bench. Gary Cahill, not able to get a game, who at least like puts a shift in and puts his... like. You know, he might score in his own net, Rog, but he is a committed, committed, committed defender. He's a leader. He's a leader on the field. Where are the leaders at Chelsea? This is a team, like, meanwhile, like, Frank Lampard up at Derby is signing all the, like, leaders we've had. Like, there are no leaders on this Chelsea team. It's, like, so disappointing to watch, honestly. Ugh. I think poor Pulisic was probably quite reassured. He probably feels like he's just joined the Premier League version of the US men's national team. But it got worse for Chelsea post-game. Sarri, as you said, did his match comments in Italian so he could be precise and accurate as he simply destroyed his players in public. As a group, they're not particularly aggressive. From a mental point of view, they don't have the ferocity. He torched that team, Davo. I'm very aware this is never going to be a team known for its battling and fighting qualities. What does it make you feel? Because it's a risky, dangerous game to throw your players under the bus like that in the Premier League. Well, it's a great tradition of Chelsea managers throwing your players under the bus, Rog. Let's face it, Antonio Conte did it. Jose Mourinho did it. And didn't really take any responsibility on himself in terms of what he's doing. And my whole feeling was, if the players aren't motivated, you've got to play other players. You've got to create competition for places, which he just hasn't done at all. Does he really feel that it's a mental problem? Or is he just frustrated that this squad is just not fit for the purposes to play the way he knows how to play? I mean, it feels very odd at the start that Chelsea have knowingly hired a manager with a known philosophy built on speed giving him a squad that's neither tactically nor he believes, as it seems, mentally. But we're not in the locker room, so it's unclear exactly what he means there. Fit for him. I mean, that, that is a reality that never ends well uh, for the manager at Chelsea. Higuain is apparently on his way, a player Sarri knows and trusts and reportedly will get the best out of. But if you look at Chelsea's pattern of quick-hooking managers like AVB and even Conte, this could be the beginning of the Sarri death rattle. I mean, and Alalulia, he's not showing the flexibility to coach in the Premier League. And 
Mm. Show me a manager who's come to the Premier League with a system and not deviated from it. Liverpool, he adapted Gagan pressing and the squad rotation at Liverpool has been so impressive through the whole thing. Sarri is rigid. He is way too rigid to work in the Premier League. There are too many teams who can beat you. There are too many good teams. And a London derby is so important. It's why, you know, when I watched the West Ham result against Arsenal and somebody said, oh my God, how could West Ham beat Arsenal? I said, well, London derbies are always hard. London teams are always going to compete hard against London teams. To see a Chelsea team just go against Arsenal in such a defeatist way, in such a sort of a shrug shoulders. You looked at their body language after the first goal. I mean, it was just like horrible, horrible to watch. I'm sure, I'm sure Roman is probably saying, even as we speak, get me McGonaghy, get me McGonaghy. <laughs> I don't care what it costs. McGonaghy's yeah. trying to get the right colour suit dye. That's the only thing that's holding up the deal. For Arsenal, a clean sheet and a season save. Now just three points off the Champions League places. They host Manchester United in an FA Cup clash on Friday, attempting to conjure a run of games in which they can prove themselves consistently. A run of big games. One dark spot that we should note, Hector Bellerin, oh, ruled out of action for between six and nine months after rupturing the anterior cruciate ligament in his left knee. I'm genuinely, genuinely gutted. He's just come back from injury. To me, he's one of the true characters of the Premier League and the game's all the poorer when he's sidelined and not just because of the wardrobe choices that we're now going to be subject to from the director's box. We hope the injury heals quickly. We hope he's back on the field as soon as possible. A bright side, we're going to get to see him in his, in his tie-dye onesie, mm. his fur-lined mankini, mm. his mesh tearaway tuxedo mm. before he's back. Godspeed, Hector. Yeah, it was a tough injury to watch because there was no contact. It was just like... Um... Sometimes the worst injuries come when there's absolutely no contact. Okay, Rog, Liverpool 4, Crystal Palace 3. Bad weekend for me and my team's Jurgen Klopp's mob. Prove they haven't lost that dramatic blood pressure increasing flair, which was the mark of campaigns past. It was the visitors who struck first when Andros Townsend steered home a Wilfred Zaha pullback in the 34th minute. But on the other side of halftime, Liverpool took the lead via back-to-back -back goals from Mo Salah and Roberto Firmino. Palace, though, would not go quietly in the 65th minute. James Tompkins whoa, rose like the best-looking grayling in the River Mersey to head home and make it 2-2. But in the 75th minute, a Julian Spironi shocker, Rog, oh. allowed Salah to poke Liverpool into a lead they would never relinquish. The final few minutes included a Jimmy Milner red card and the sides trading goals one more time. But when the final whistle blew, Liverpool retained their four-point lead atop the table. Oh, the Roy Hodgson Memorial Derby. It had it all. There was drama, narrative, counter-narrative, surprise, joy, moments of evil, human tragedy, unexpected heroes. It was feel good. It was feel bad. I mean, Palace are so off Liverpool's bogey team. They are so resilient. When they play against Liverpool, they fancied their chances in this one on the break because Trent Alexander-Arnold is Blackhawk down and Wilf Zaha, we knew there was problems when he was left to run free at honest professional Jimmy Milner. And it was he right from the off. What a giant killer Andros Townsend, Davo. What is it about him? He scores when he wants and he only wants to score against league leaders. Amazing goals he scored this season. Amazing how Palace come out and play against the big teams, which they always have, unlike the 3-2 victory at Man City. This ended, like, cruelly for them. Yeah, I mean, but we give them credit. Liverpool were stunned by that 1-0 lead. Palace becoming only the fourth away team. This is amazing to score at Anfield this season. Liverpool then tried all their tricks. And by tricks, I mean Mo Salah flinging himself to the ground in the penalty area, a move that has become, let's just say, an unseemly and a regular part of the Egyptian Kings games. He feels gravity 
more than mere mortals, David. Do you see this just like as part of the game or just part a symbol of the pressure that's on him? Or the what, what, where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, I know Liverpool fans can only see an angel in Mo Salah. And there's this sort of sense that we want to sort of make him this perfect, perfect human being. But it's a horrible part of this game. It's like a something that players have rightfully criticised for. And this is happening almost on a weekly basis right now, this very heavy feeling of the weight of gravity in the box and it actually lessens him as a player it lessens Liverpool as a team for continuing to sort of turn a blind eye to it happening I loathe it I don't understand it it's funny players like Diego Costa who used to do it revile for it there is something about Mo he's so gorgeous he's such an Ewok he's so cute he's such a force of good that we are willing to turn a blind eye but irrespective they were down at halftime. There were nerves resounding around Anfield. I spoke to my brother. He was like, it is, it is awful here. But those nerves lanced quickly inside seven second half minutes. Liverpool had lacked spark. But who needs spark when he got Virgil van Dijk? Virg! 56 seconds into the second half. Does anyone, does anyone get less deserving, yet more important assists than Virgil van Dijk? I mean, it, it, shot, it was a hopeless shot, again, which cannoned up. And just turn into a masterstroke, David. And my God, what a halftime team talk uh, Jurgen Klopp must have delivered to have them come out and just score two goals so quickly. Yeah, the ball dropped to who else but Mo Salah. And I've got to credit Mo. His mind must have, when that ball dropped, David, from Verge, his mind must have like flicked between do I try and draw a penalty here or do I try and score a goal? And he, he decided to do the latter with a cheeky, brilliant flick in front of the cop. Just. Oh, a wonderful, wonderful. When, when he doesn't have to think, incredibly instinctive. He made it look easy, but it isn't. And then Palace sat off Bobby Chompers, gave him the freedom of the penalty area. You don't give Firmino that room. He scuffed shot, took a deflection on the way in. Two lucky goals. Luck, as you will say, Davo, a key, a crucial part of the title season. Yeah, massive. And winning games like this, which you look in danger of losing at certain points, is just is a huge, huge thing. Did you really feel when you were watching it? I mean, Tompkins, God love him, with his lamb chops flying mm. through the air, 2-2. Uh, I never truly believed, or maybe I just wouldn't let myself believe that Palace could do it. Did you feel when you were watching this, there was a moment where Liverpool did feel truly mortal? Absolutely. Because uh, having seen that game against Man City, when Palace went to Man City and beaten them, having sort of understood the history of Palace playing against the bigger sides, this was a Palace team that were actually growing in belief during the game. They were in a dogfight. It was scrappy. I just felt like they could take it. It was heartbreaking to me that they didn't. Maybe I just wouldn't let myself believe I didn't want my spirits to be crushed because for me, it was no surprise when Liverpool retook the lead. It was a surprise how. I mean, I, I still don't quite understand, David. We're going to say Spironi, hats off. A Crystal Palace cult hero, a goalkeeping legend, 39 years of age, poor old sod. I mean, he had a, what, you, what my dad would call a senior moment. I think they call it a brain fart in America, malfunction. I mean, it's scientifically known as pickfording the ball oh. towards your own goal. Just a cross bounce in front of him. And he, in, I mean, I've watched it maybe a thousand times inexplicably. Decided to palm it towards his own goal line in a way that could only be described as a bit match-fixy, leaving Salah for the tap-in. What happened, Dave? Was it the onset? Of dementia. Well, I mean, look, rather like Jordan Pickford, goalkeepers' mistakes, you know, they're worse than strikers' mistakes, worse than midfielders' mistakes, worse than defenders' mistakes. They just look awful when they happen like this. I feel for him 
just must feel terrible, especially, you know, in context of the final result of the game. It felt over at that point, especially when Mane doubled the lead. But then Liverpool had James Milner sent off late in possibly the most nostalgic moment of violence you'll ever see because he was sent off. And this is so cute. What a lovely way to be sent off. To be sent off by referee John Moss, who'd been Milner, now 33. He'd been Milner's phys ed teacher 20 years before. He used to run Milner's middle school soccer team, David. There's, there's beautiful photos on the internet of like a 13, 14-year-old Jimmy Milner and John Moss, like the proud phys ed teacher <laughs> on the back row. Clearly previous between the, uh, between the two gentlemen. And so a game of heart-stopping drama. I mean, Liverpool looked both vulnerable and, to me, resilient. Most importantly of all, victorious. If anything, whole game, it's a bit like a, a throwback. A throwback I encourage, actually, to Liverpool in the days of Brendan Rodgers. Second mention on this podcast. Tons of possession. And the goals flow at both ends. It's going to be one hell of a title run in Davo. Batten down the hatches. And Liverpool fans, put your adult diapers on. OK, Huddersfield, nil. Manchester City, three. The purple and orange-clad citizens make quick work of the managerless Terriers. A deflected long-range Danilo strike. A Raz header, Rog, and a beautifully worked Leroy Sané goal gives City. Their fifth straight win in all competitions to begin 2019. Just four points behind Liverpool. Title race still on. A game with no suspense, no surprise. There was not a moment when you really thought City were threatened. They even managed to play one of their occasional hits, which is the dose of Man City complacency, and still strolled out easy winners, playing without visions for the first time in a long time. Huddersfield were game, but they were no match. City took the lead to Danilo, who's been trying that same long-range shot for weeks. Raz, Sané added their beauties. Amazing stats since losing 2-1 to Leicester City on Boxing Day. Pep's team have won their last six games in all comps by an aggregate score of 27-2. 27-2. They'll now make Liverpool hold serve for the next couple of weeks. They play before Klopp's team, which will ratchet up the pressure on them as opposed to playing catch-up as they have the past couple of match days. That does make a difference, right, David? And I still fancy... Man City. I was asked this weekend, like, who I still think is going to win the Premier League, and I still think it's going to be City, Rog. In other Huddersfield news, on Monday, the club appointed Jan Sievert to succeed David Wagner as manager. The 36-year-old German, like his predecessor, left his role as Borussia Dortmund's second-team coach to join the Terriers. It looks like an appointment that will allow them to reset, to go again in the Championship next season, rather than to try and desperately gouge their way out of the Premier League relegation zone this season. We wish him and the club, a gorgeous club in a beautiful, beautiful part of the country, we wish them Godspeed. Okay, Man United 2, Brighton 1. The Champions League, you know, contenders who are starting to occur more and more to us every week. How good they are. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's hot hand continues. United win their seventh on the bounce, Rog. Paul Pogba started the scoring. Now he wants a new contract while getting all his steps in for the day with one of his trademark penalties. Marcus Rashford, Rog, a.k.a. Rash Beans, proceeded to continue his, dare I say, James Harden-esque form, notching his seventh goal in his last 10 games. In the end, Brighton pulled one back, but United hold on and move just three points off the top four, Rog. It's like we've seen this movie a lot recently, a bit like Conair perpetually playing on TBS. United reborn, regalvanised, the story's becoming... Oh, a well-worn wonder 
in the same way as it got a bit boring talking about Jose every week, imploding his Death Star in the same fashion. It's getting a bit boring talking about Ole resuscitating the team with great play. Who mm. knew from Pogba and Rashford in this one? A motivated Pogba. Everyone now, by the way, re-signing with United. Ruben Martial wants new contract. Pogs wants to stay. He won a penalty with some ambitious, positive, hungry play driving into the box. And I will say, it's refreshing uh, that United managers may come and go on a monthly basis, but Pogba's ridiculous trotting penalty routine stays the same. It's not I love great long-standing traditions of the English game. And then you got Rashford's contractually obliged goal showing off his happy feet. What a move, David. Yeah, it's around the back, around the thing. This is the sort of stuff I see my son George practicing, like laboriously, like minute after minute after minute after minute in our little backyard. But the fact that he's pulling off these moves in real game situations, in crucial it's, moments, exactly. it's phenomenal to watch. Yeah, it's street ball at Old Trafford. I mean, it's in a stunning move. He cut inside the defender, finished with confidence from a, oh, an acute angle. A quick mind, just a well of ability and a confidence that has been unleashed. It's four goals in four games for him. This was his 41st goal in his 150th game for the club. An astonishing mark. I mean, it's more than Ronaldo when he'd hit 150 games. Only Rooney had scored more by that time. And Rashford is younger than both of those blokes when ringing up that many games. Brighton did what they do, made a fist of it, bombarding United's goal with some route one. But United held on. Belief once again rings out at Old Trafford. Seven wins in seven games. 19 goals scored, just four conceded. At Claire, the Hound logo tweeted us a GFOP to say that I've just explained Man United's transformation to my seven-year-old who recently saw the original Karate Kid. And I told her they used to have the Cobra Kai Sensei, but now they've got Mr. Miyagi. So they're so much happier. That essentially is the best explanation I've heard of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer era. Long may that era last. Fulham won, Tottenham two. A last-minute winner from young squire Ari Winks saves a Spurs side devoid of Harry Kane's son and Lucas Moura. It was actually the Cottagers who took the lead when Kane's Pamplonan replacement Old double L's, Fernando Llorente turned a Fulham corner into his own net. <laughs> that's, it's doing wonders for his confidence, Rog. But Spurs fought back. First, Delhi headed home a lovely Christian Eriksen cross before going off injured. And with virtually the last touch of the ball, the aforementioned Winks found space in the perpetually gaping Fulham defence to head home the winner. Spurs stay third, nine points off Liverpool, but they move four clear of Chelsea in fourth place. Oh, I thought you said the Spurs were with Harry Kane's son. <laughs> yeah, they might be calling him up next. They wish they had Harry Kane's son playing because instead of Harry Kane and son, oh, they had the cumbersome Urente and Lamella, Ersatz replacements. The question was, how good would they be? And the answer was, not so good. Oh, Urente in particular. He was terrible. He quickly proved, wasted no time in saying, I'm a goal machine. Sadly, he is, but into his own net. Albeit, if you watch it, Delhi and Trippier, they just seem to let that ball waft over their heads on its journey, its journey of agony onwards forever towards a self-destructive Spaniard. Oh, who needs Harry Kane for Spurs to score? Yells Llorente as he flat-footed on the volley from a corner, just dribbled the ball. It took forever to cross the line, which just only seemed to enhance his shame his loneliness and pain. Seize the day 
Urente style. God, he was dreadful. At Thomas, Carl Cook tweeted us to say Spurs are now the fifth leading scorer for Fulham on the season. Spurs did look like a team. They looked like a team that had been taken apart, essentially, and then put together wrong again. They were scrappy. They couldn't complete multiple passes. And because they were playing in blue pajamas, it was awful to watch. It was just like watching bloody Everton. They were that bad. God love Delhi, though, Dave. He scores a lot with his head. This injury to Delhi, I think, is really, really, really costly to Spurs because I felt like he's really come along this season, been more of a team player, had more sort of crucial big game moments. And this was a big moment in this game. Oh, that is, can we just say that is a darkness for Spurs? Watching Delhi score and then limp off with what looks like a serious hamstring injury, just another low light for an already depleted squad. But Spurs, they're fascinating. That, the sight of Delhi just. Oh, crying on the bench would have knocked the stuffing out of most teams. But Tottenham, they can be so resilient in odd times. They fail when they're expected to succeed. And they're so tenacious when they're meant to be rocked because with 20 seconds to go, a ball pumped into the box. Who's there? Not the goalkeeper. Stood frozen on his line. But it's the other Harry, Davey. Harry Winks, a player who sort of felt this was going to be a big season for, really stepped up. And this is going to be uh, go down, I think for Tottenham fans as perhaps a career-making performance. Hopefully. God, Harry Winks, like the other white meat, stooping to nod home, his second senior goal. I can't let read very well, but I'm pretty sure he screamed, Fulham, I will dog walk you, as he ran deliriously towards the fans. A massive goal for Tottenham. You could see the relief in Pochettino's face. If, if Spurs had stumbled here... Poch was a man who was going to spend several months every single press conference trying to talk away how little the team miss Harry Kane, who they do miss, the man who scored 36% of Spurs goals under Poch. He won't have to do that anymore. He has a reprieve. And as it is, he can talk now about how much the club will miss Delhi instead. But Fulham, you had to feel for them, Dave. Oh, so Spursy. Um, Fulham, you know, a lot, lot, lot of fondness uh, for that club. And I'm worried about them this season. Uh, they're going to have to turn it around fast if they're going to stay up. Oh, poor Ranieri. When I looked at him, my mind just filled. As I'm sure his mind was filled. I bet his mind was filled with this Dostoevsky's quote that truly great men must, I think, experience great sorrow on the earth. He was truly living out crime and punishment for sure. The whole book and the brutal reality for Fulham. They've scored first for three matches on the run only to surrender the lead and exit defeated. That is relegation form. Yeah, they've got to stop scoring too early, Roger. They've just got to stop doing that. It's just <laughs> a big mistake. Uh, Wolves 4, Leicester 3. Uh, what a game to kick off the weekend, Roger. Back and forth affair in which Leicester battled back twice. And thanks to a late Wes Morgan header, looked like they had earned a certain draw until Diogo Zota beat a woeful <sighs> Leicester offside trap to complete his hat-trick. Send Nuno scampering onto the pitch. And left Claude Puel doing his best Edvard Munich impression. The scream! Wolves leapfrog Leicester into eighth place, Rog. What a game for those who love to feel feelings and get up early to feel. And we had it in this one. Love, death, life. In the 93rd minute, 30 seconds from time, a pass from the quite brilliant Ruben Neves. Took the ball in his own half, one touch, and then spanked a knuckling wonder first time bisecting four Leicester players by inches. I mean, just 
look at this pass. It was just, it's a work of art. I mean, it is a like a seeing eye, 30 yard or so, just spinning ball. It just eludes four desperate, exhausted, lunging Leicester players. Find Jimenez, who knocks the square ball to Jota, wide open in the middle. Clinical finish, becoming the first Wolves player to score a top flight hat trick since 1977. Q Papa Smurf, Nuno, to charge on the field, Yogi Klopp style. His team have won three matches. This is astonishing. After the 90-minute mark this season, can't stop, won't stop. And those emotional Klopp-like Premier League managers. I looked at that NFL film of Sean McVay with his get-back coach. These managers, Klopp, who wasn't sent off for running on the field, and Nuno, who was sent off for running on the field, They've got to get themselves a get-back coach. I'd love to see that in the Premier League. But again, another destroyed manager, Claude Puel, Dave. He was wrecked. That awful shot of him. Do you see how much it means to him? You know, he's feeling uh, pressure. They've gone through a lot this season, Leicester, and they definitely want to stay hot top half the table. Four defeats in their last five in all comps. The manager much maligned, head in hand, stumbling, crumbling, like a biblical Job. It looked like he wanted the earth to just open up and swallow him whole. It was impossible, impossible not to feel for him. Okay, Newcastle 3, Cardiff nil. a classic relegation six-pointer sees the Toon leapfrog Neil Warnock's lot out of the relegation zone. A brace from Swiss defender uh, Fabian Scher and an Ayosi Perez finish give Rafa's men their first three-goal game of the season. This is a much-needed win after a week in which news broke that the club's proposed sale has fallen through and the fan base feel ever more beleaguered. Yeah, but a true piece of dark news, which is breaking as we pod today, that puts football, that puts life into perspective. No. Awful, David. Emiliano Sala, the 28-year-old Argentinian striker who only joined Cardiff City last Saturday as a club's record signing. Um, at time of podding, he's feared dead after a light aircraft of which he was one of two people aboard disappeared over the English Channel on a flight back to Wales. Just awful, David. We wish him, his family, everyone at Cardiff, the club, the city, the fans, all of our love. We should be careful of each other. We should be kind while there is still time. Uh, Bournemouth 2, West Ham nil. A Callum Wilson stonker. Tack a couple more million onto his transfer fee, Roger. <laughs> and Josh uh, King's injury time clincher. Claim victory for Eddie Howe's men at the Vitality. The Cherries are in 12th place, West Ham in 10th. Yeah, proof that a Nazri bearing no hatred for his opponents is half the player. Spite motivation, it's the best motivation, David. <laughs> yeah, I know, you, you love a bit of spite, Rog. <laughs> Watford, nil. Burnley, nil. Keepers, Tom Heaton and Ben Foster squared off in a pitcher's duel, each producing impressive saves in this one. Neither of these sides have lost in 2019. And then Southampton, two. Everton won. I'm sorry, Rod. You got rabbit hutched. <laughs> Are you really sorry? Yeah, I am sorry. You know, I, I at least want Everton to get like a pointless draw. <laughs> I mean, it's like, why, why do we even care at this point? What is Everton's season going to... I mean, they're just going to end up in sort of like the sort of top half of the bottom half of the table in their little three-dimensional as it zooms out and it zooms in and spins around and we go into the pointless inner table. It doesn't really matter, does it, Rog? But I am sorry, because I'm sure that you had a miserable 90 minutes, even though you're going to tell me you're numb to it and you don't care anymore. It was a disgrace. This was a disgrace. It's starting to hurt so much, like the thought is just wearing off and all you're left with is just anger. Six defeat in ten. I mean, the, they are the Premier League's version of the Fire Festival, uh, but as opposed to a weekend 
the agony and distress lasts an entire season. I actually watched those Fire Festival documentaries. Have you seen them? I have not seen them yet, Rog. You've got to watch them. They're both different POVs and they're both quite brilliantly complimentary. But the whole thing, both of them, just seem like thinly veiled allegories for Everton's season with Ja Rule as Marco Silva. Got to credit Southampton because I know the Southampton fans get angry when we don't mention them. They've won more Premier League games and they should be angry because it is amazing. Under Ralph Hassan Huttle, they've won four and eight. Then they did with Mark Hughes, three and 22. One more points than any club outside the top six in that time. Mm. But Everton, bloody hell. Strangers, no striker, no threat. At the real Nandez tweeted in to say Liverpool conceding has become more joyful than Everton scoring. That is the painful truth. I want to make it clear. It's not Everton fans only joy when Liverpool concede. That would make us horrible people. No, we also take pleasure from Ross Barkley playing like crap at Chelsea. <laughs> but I was watching this game and I found myself, you know how they talk about East Germans occasionally starting to feel nostalgic for the old days when the war was still up. Yeah. In the same way, I'm starting to like over nostalgize and romanticize the past. I caught myself for a minute starting to miss Everton under Sam Allardyce, David. Yeah, the, wow. The, the, <laughs> I know the season's become that barren. I want to sum it up by just saying the poet, and I know every Everton fan's feeling the same, a sadness about the play and a sadness too that the poet Mary Oliver died this week. My wife loves these lines and they're Mary Oliver's lines and reading them, they are true about the pain of watching Everton numbly live out a season of no meaning, which is what you hinted at at the top, Davo. Mary Oliver wrote, when it's over, I don't want to wonder if I've made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Words to live by, Davo. Yeah, Everton clearly have just been visiting the Premier League. <laughs> For as long as I can remember, Rog. Okay, France 3, the US Women's National Team 1. Jill Ellis started this World Cup year falling to this summer's host in La Havre. Saturday, they still miss Bob Bradley. The US was down 3-0 before Mallory Pugh pulled back a consolation goal in stoppage time. What did you make of this, Rog? Well, don't read too much into it, but read a little into it is what Uh I'd say. US 5 regular starters not playing, including... Most glaringly, Julia Ertz, they were a comedy of errors, really sloppy possession, inability to enforce themselves onto the game. Yet we always say about friendlies, what do we say, David? Don't read too much into international friendlies. So no big deal after an unbeaten 2018. But it is a wake-up call, David, that perhaps the squad is not as deep as previously advertised. Optimists are riffing off the fact that the US lost their first game of 2015 to France. I think that one was 2-0. Oh. And obviously went on to win the bloody World Cup. But I will say, to me, it's more of a reminder that this tournament, the 2019 one, is going to be the most competitive of all time by some stretch. And kickoff, bring it on, is only 136 days away. Yeah, US Women's National Team will look to rebound today against Spain, a game that should wrap up just about the time this pod is released. And the US men kick off 2019 this Sunday in Glendale, Arizona against Panama marking 3G Greg Berhalter's first game at the helm. Going to be fascinating watching him with his redundant consonants, Rog. G-Force! Oh, should we do the Jägermeister and prophesize what is going to go down in the big one against Panama? 
Yeah, do it, Rog. I've got mine right here. Don't say no, because I've got my shot glass to my lips, <laughs> and I'm going in. <laughs> oh, I've got to say, oh, January, <laughs> I needed that. January camp, America's January camp. It's a American tradition, but it's an oddly American phenomenon. It's an international camp, really, in name only. They bring together domestic players who will, many of whom will probably never pull on a United States training top again. Uh, but I will say, here's the reality with the World Cup failure and subsequent lost year, the managerless year, the year of wandering, the US men's stock has never felt lower to me. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, while I've been in America, it's never felt like this. You, you only need to look at anything that is posted on Twitter and just the responses underneath. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of incredible apathy, which is probably saddest of all that surrounds this team right now. And the only way the US men can dig out and diffuse it and change things is to play games and to win games, which I believe, according to this Jägermeister, which oh, feels so makes you feel alive, and I hope the U.S. team feels similarly. It's going to be a tiny first step, but my God, one we've waited 14 months for. So this Jägermeister, it tastes of significant, insignificant glory. Yeah, that's amazing uh, your Jägermeister has said that to you, Rog, because the first thing my Jägermeister is telling me is do not read too much into this one game. It's going to take so many games for the U.S. to come back. It's going to take a long time for Greg Berhalter to truly you know, put his imprint on this team and for this team to establish an identity again that people can get behind. But my Jägermeister also tastes of a man who you've interviewed, Rog. I'm talking about Kellen Acosta. He got a little of his groove back when he moved to Colorado last season. And with the midfield depth chart getting crowded with the likes of Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Kellen has something to prove while they remain on club duty. Best Acosta since Jim. <laughs> OK, Rog, no Premier League games during this FA Cup weekend, but midweek games next week mean the Men in Blazers show returns to television Wednesday, January 30th at 5.30pm Eastern Time. We're going to pod after those games next week, so there will be a pod, but it will go out Thursday instead of Tuesday. There are many ways to connect to us, including our now-extinct Amazon Emporium, Rog. But what are you putting into the Men in Blazers board mark this week, Rocher? A book. Always Another Country, a memoir of exile and home by Sisonki Misamang. Uh, I mean, I'm still on my memoir kick, and this one, oh, by an African journalist who was born in exile. She's the daughter of South African freedom fighters and is a poetic, beautiful crafter of a story. And this is an incredible story of wandering, longing, self-exploration. Misamang grew up in Zambia, in Kenya, in Canada, essentially anywhere but South Africa where she's from because her father was part of the ANC's revolutionary arm wing, which fought against apartheid. She ultimately, as an adult, returned to South Africa, uh, only to marry a white gent, and she felt so dislocated upon doing so, she ended up moving to Australia. It's a beautiful book by an incredible storyteller who transports you to places and makes you feel feelings, makes you, most importantly, ask the biggest question, which is, where is really home? Uh, Rog, one of my New Year's resolutions, which I didn't realise was one of my New Year's resolutions until I realised I've actually been doing it, so I've retroactively gone and made it one of my New Year's resolutions, is to drink more water, or in my London patois, drink more water. 
And to do that, I, I don't like bottled water for some reason. I don't enjoy having to constantly go and buy it. It's all that plastic. It doesn't feel very good. And so I wanted to find the perfect water filtration pitcher. Oh. And I've got good news. I found it, Rog. It's called the Soma, S-O-M-A. You get it at bed, bath, and beyond. It looks great. It is so beautifully designed. It's perfectly sized to fit in your refrigerator. And one of the best things about it, because I can sometimes be a little bit lazy, is it can, you don't have to take the lid off to fill it. It just has a very clever system at the top, so you can just put it under the faucet and go and, and fill it, and it will naturally open up and then close again. Uh, it's really good. It tastes really good. The filters are really easy to replace. It's just excellent, excellent, excellent uh, product. If you're listening out there, the people at Bed Bath & Beyond or Soma, I'm willing to be your spokesperson. Oh. You don't even have, you can just pay me in more water or more were. Somas. You just gave it away free. Uh, okay, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, at Roger Bennett on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davis on Facebook. Men in Blazers, you can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can always send your ravens. Quick save the date yeah. to GFOPs in Atlanta. Uh-huh. I'm coming to town oh. with producer J-Dubs huh. on February the 15th on a secret mission. Whoa. But save that night. Save the date. Save that night. February 15th. Okay, interesting. Valentine's with Rog. Ugh. Buy our book, Encyclopedia <laughs> Blazer Tanaka, for yourself or for your new football-loving friends. It's available at all good booksellers, including Wamazon, Rog, Vendepunkt. War Pig. Who wants to sex Madombo? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Get me McGonaghy. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.